welcome to the Get Emergent podcast. This is a podcast about leadership development, improving communication, and enhancing team performance. I'm Cindy Massingill. And I'm Ralph Simone. And this is a series of podcasts focused on our offering called Team Forward. Team Forward is a performance-based team development process, and we're sharing some of the key elements of Team Forward to help our listeners build higher performing teams within the organizations that they serve and that they lead. And today we don't have really a specific topic. This is a special podcast that we're doing. We invited our listeners over the last 30 days to shoot us some of their real live challenges with leading and with teams. And today we're going to be addressing some of those questions. And we've selected questions that we think most of our listeners can really relate to. And so I'm excited about this podcast. This is bonus material, kind of free form, responding to what's on the hearts and minds of people as they work on improving their team performance. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into the questions, I just want to share, I'm really excited about wrapping up the Team Forward program we did yesterday. We finished up yesterday working with one of our clients over the last, uh, I think we started three months ago, Mm -hmm. right? That was a great last session. And even in the car today, you said it was the best session so far. The, The impact, right? The trust that's been developed, how people were interacting, how they've moved the needle around things that are important to their team performance. It was uh, the level of engagement. It just really, it's nice when we can, we don't often stick around long enough with an intact group of people to see that transformation. Yeah, yeah. And it was really inspiring to see. Well, I think it was, was, uh, I don't know if it was night and day, that dramatic difference, but you could definitely feel the difference from comparing the energy of the group when we first met them to where we landed yesterday. And I think feel is a a good word. I mean, we do a lot of work with emotional intelligence and just sensing uh, the energy and picking up on um, how they've strengthened relationships. I mean, even as evidence... At the end of the day, we ran long, which we typically don't do because we end strong and we manage the meeting, and people hung around the office talking and, and visiting with one another, and it, it just showed how far, yeah, and again, not night and day, but how far they've come to be really a high-performing team. That was evidence, just people sticking around the office longer. I mean, it was a nice day. They could have gone home early, right? Could have got some personal things done. So that was evidence that something really amazing happened, right? But there were a couple other things I noticed too. Um, Two individuals who were really pretty quiet when we first started with them were at least 25% more participative in the dialogue yesterday all day. I mean, really put themselves out there. And that was big. Absolutely. We talk about, in theory, the importance of equal participation, but we saw that manifested yesterday, and we saw people who weren't participating at a high level in the beginning, mm-hmm. not only participating at a higher level, but the insights that they brought to the team were very helpful in the work that we were doing yesterday. So that was significant. That was good. The other thing I saw was um, we put them through the a pretty challenging exercise to end 
we strategically put it there because they're not ready for it at the beginning. But we put that exercise in at the end about giving each other really direct feedback about what we want them to stop doing, start doing, and continue to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw some direct feedback even from one individual to another that was slightly critical, Mm -hmm. right? But I watched that individual really take that as a gift, Mm -hmm. and it landed differently in a more positive way. They were ready for the feedback because they had laid the foundation of trust Mm -hmm. and vulnerability. Right. You know, they were ready for the feedback because they see the benefit of people seeing things differently. And, you know, we had talked about, and, and, and it was a nice marriage of we need to mitigate the number of missing conversations and give feedback to people, not only on where there are gaps, but what they're doing well. And you could see uh, just in observing people reading the feedback, how it touched them. Yeah. And, and I think to your point, you know, it was a really, truly a gift. It was really and, great. And it that's what feedback is intended to be. And it's another way of holding each other accountable to team effectiveness and team performance. We all have blind spots, behaviors that get in the way of our team performing at a higher level. And yeah. this this was an opportunity for them to get an outside perspective on some of their potential blind spots, both strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, we don't have to stay on this too long, but I, I just got so energized by their group and I'm really excited for them. The other thing that stuck in my mind when I was thinking about wrapping up yesterday with them, one of the individuals made a comment, not used to doing this type of touchy-feely stuff, mm-hmm. right? You know, that that was okay, but I got to say that, you know, this is the work. This is the, you know, this is what moves organizations forward in a really significant way by investing in the quality, the effectiveness, and the performance level of their teams, especially the senior leadership team. This is the work. This is what makes a difference. That was that individual's clunky way of saying the soft skills are really the hard skills. Right, yeah. The ability to give people honest, authentic performance feedback, whether it's positive or constructive, many people have not mastered. The ability to invite different perspectives and be able to work through them. Mm-hmm. When you master that, I don't care what industry you're in, right? You hear all the voices. You are able to make better choices faster because people are freely and in an unfiltered way sharing how they're seeing things. That's really the hard work. Yeah, I believe that some of the logical, analytical, objective work is the easier work. It's important, but... Absolutely. Necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So we're excited for them, and uh, what an honor to be a part of their journey. That was was fun work, and I'm excited about the work that we're going to be doing for them in the future. So how about we segue over to the real live stuff from from our listeners? So let's read the first question. Hello, Ralph and Cindy. Two challenges come to mind for me. Number one, leading a team. How do you present topics in a manner that keeps everyone engaged? And number two, as being a member of a team, how do you overcome the challenges another team member places on a team 
when the member is not willing to be open to opposing views and direction. Wow, how long do we have for this uh, podcast? Yeah, yeah. But why don't we take the first one first and uh, around, you know, presenting ideas in a way that holds people's interests? Well, and I think not only ideas, though, but she's also asking about, you know, how do you present topics in a manner that keeps everyone yeah. engaged? Yeah. So I think part of that, and we talk about this, is finishing strong and in, in maybe getting involvement by the people that are going to be in the meeting as to what the agenda topics ought to be. For future meetings. For future meetings. Right. I think I think one of the problems is people come in, they don't know what to expect, they're not well prepared, they had a different expectation. So get them involved in identifying the topics is a way. Mm -hmm. And it's a good starting point, I think. But also think about the different ways in which you could facilitate the different agenda topics. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think most meetings get stale. Yeah, yeah. You know, they don't, you know, we talk about using a short video or a reading or doing something or doing a quick check-in. And I think you've got to be willing to step outside your comfort zone and mix it up a little bit. I agree. Change the venue. Sure. Change who's leading the meeting. Change the time of day. Mm -hmm. Change how long the meeting is. Ask people to do a standing meeting in a room with the door closed and do a laser focus meeting. We're going to talk about one topic for 10 minutes and we're going to get as much as possible in in that 10 minutes. And then let's see where we land, right? I think changing it up is good. Yeah. You could even in the early setting up of operational ground rules talk about what makes a topic interesting to you, right? And you could begin to get some data on that. But I think mixing it up variety. I think there's, you know, there's certain uh, upside to consistency, but too much consistency can lead to boredom, can lead to disinterest. And so I think being willing to adapt and mix it up, I think, is key on that one. And also engaging people in what are the topics and what is the most effective way to deal with them. I love it. So I had a kind of a different spin on mm -hmm. our listener's question. So the one thing that really came to mind for me is when you're presenting topics to get people engaged, I think the what of the topic is important, but I think even more important and more relevant is the why. So why are we bringing up this topic? Why does it matter? Why are we spending our time having this conversation? No, no question. Often missed. This is the, you know, our mantra of slowing down to go faster. Why are we even meeting? Why is this topic significant to the organization? Why is it significant to you? What impact will it have on the marketplace? So, so sometimes we're so concerned about the what are the agenda items that we don't make that connection. We don't make the connection of the why. How is it important to us? How is it important to our team? How is it important to the organization? How is it important to our customers or clients? You know, it might be obvious for the person who's presenting the topic, Correct. but it may not be that obvious for, you know, we got to connect the dots. That's the why. I remember the one idea we had for one of our clients that they've had this wonderful, powerful, inspirational video done on their company, mm -hmm. about why their company exists and the impact it has. And I asked uh, my client, I said, he was looking for ways to jazz up his meetings. I said, how often have you started a meeting with that? Which is really their why. And he said, never. And I said, well, wow. why not do it? 
and it's a minute 47, right? It's this, because I think there's another piece of, of starting a meeting with the why and then what do you intend, what do we intend to get out of it? How do you plan on showing up and getting people very intentional about how they can contribute to making the topic interesting? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that just starting differently around the, the mission of the company changed the whole dynamic because it answered the question why that you just suggested. And I also think, so this is a, another piece of it, I think, so now I'm going to come at it from the participant's perspective. Okay. I think we as participants, we have an obligation. We owe it to our team members to speak up when... In our minds, we're like, why are we having this conversation? I am not engaged. I'm not interested. I'm mm. You know, I think we owe it to our team. If we're going to be a high-performing team, we owe it to our team to speak up and say, I need to take a break, not literally a break, but let's pause our dialogue because I need to pause this conversation. I don't understand why we're having this conversation. Why are we spending time on this topic? Help me. Right? So, so I'm with you on that. But let's go back to our listener's question. How would we suggest they do that? How do you encourage that? So she or he is looking for ways of making the uh, topics more interesting. And you're mm-hmm. saying part of the responsibility is on the participant. Right. How do we make it easier for the participant to raise that flag? Yeah. You know, and, and how would we respond to that? What would our suggestion be? So the first thing I would do is just request that we pause. I'd raise my hand and say, I'd like to jump in. I'm not understanding. It sounds like this is an important topic for many of us in the room. I'm sorry, I'm not getting it. Help me help me understand so that I can be more engaged in the conversation. Got it. Jump in. Yeah. Respectfully, yeah. right? Don't, not in a challenging way, but a, you know, help me connect the dots so that I can be more of a contributor to this dialogue. So they have a responsibility to make it interesting, to make sure the question of why gets answered based on how they participate. One of the most underdeveloped skills of any leader is this idea of being curious, curiosity, right? It's human nature to just, I don't get it, so I'm resistant. Mm. And we've got to continue to push the needle on getting better at being curious in the moment. First noticing when all of a sudden we're like, I got 10,000 things to do at my desk and I'm not interested in this conversation. That should be the first signal. Stop. Right. Pay attention. Be curious and ask a question. Well, I really like the question, though. How do you make the meeting more interesting? And not only more interesting, how do you make the meeting matter? to more of the participants so that they are not distracted by the 10,000 things they have to do back at their desk, but they're feeling like they're moving the needle Mm -hmm. because the topics are interesting, the topics matter, which speaks to why, and my input, my voice counts. Because, you know, I, I would love to hear from people, I attended three magnificent meetings this week. They were well orchestrated. The why was clear. I participated and I saw progress made. They started on time and they ended on time. As opposed to saying, oh, my God, I got to work all night because I was in meetings all day. And I do think there's a personal responsibility that we all share in changing that. I think that was your point as a participant. 
So let's wrap this up. What are we recommending to our listener? I think the why is really critical, why we're having the meeting, and then make a strong connection to the interesting agenda topics that would support that why. Okay. I think that's, that's, that's critical. That's number one. I think the other thing we talked about, though, is if it's a meeting that happens more than once, really getting buy-in and, and having uh, the participants of the meeting contribute to the agenda topics and how they're facilitated to maximize interest and impact. Good. And that's, you know, that wouldn't necessarily be for the first meeting, but for subsequent meetings. And I think having the ground rule that it's an expectation that people will speak up if they don't see the why or if there is a level of disconnect or if they feel there's a different, more interesting way to deal with the agenda topic. And that requires a facilitator or leader to be nimble enough and agile enough and adaptable enough to respond to that. Right. Good. Good. So let's go to the part B of this listener's question. How do you overcome the challenges that are put on the team when one team member is not willing to be open to opposing views and direction? Wow. That's a great question. I mean, uh, short of replacing the team member, just kidding. But the, the idea, I think we've talked a little bit about you could deal with this in the ground rules, the importance of curiosity mm-hmm. or bringing in an open mind. And, and so I think the ground rules could be one. If this is a pattern of behavior, though, I think some one-on-one feedback Mm-hmm. to the individual would be necessary. I was really inspired by one of my clients who, she said to me, she goes, I go into every meeting thinking I don't have the answer. Mm-hmm. Fairly senior level person with a lot of experience in the industry in which she works. And I was really, um, I said, that's walking the talk of being open and being curious. And so Curiosity seems to come up for me around this one. And then maybe even having a conversation of the impact that this lack of openness is having on the team moving forward. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's an element of that. And those are a couple of ideas off the top of my head. What do you think? Are you thinking curiosity on whose part? On Both, the, actually. Yeah, yeah, I was hoping you'd say that. I think curiosity on uh, the facilitator being curious as to why the person feels so strongly and is not open. Maybe there's a really good reason, and that might be the way to start that conversation. But also finding ways to kind of create some opening and openness among the person that feels so strongly. So a couple things come up for me. I get the feeling that I need more information about this situation, but I, I feel like the listener is feeling like the resistance is a problem. Mm. But I do want to say, I, you know, I wrote a recent blog about this. Why is it that as leaders, what comes out of our mouth is we want more diversity in thinking? You know, we want to hear different perspectives. Yeah, just don't articulate it. <laughs> yeah, no. just don't tell me what you're thinking, right? Like, so, we, you know, we're sometimes we're not congruent in, mm. in mm. what we say and how we act. So maybe there's so, an Aikido move here, right? There's a reason that this person feels so strongly and is not open. And maybe mining for that reason might be an effective way to move through and say, you seem really strong about this. What are we missing? Right. But I I think the conversation Mm. is about the pattern of resistance. Yes. Right? Yeah. There's a pattern of opposing views and opposing the direction we're going to. 
I want to understand more. You know, you kiddingly opened with outside of letting the person off the team, right? I don't think that's a kid. Sometimes people aren't right for the team. Sometimes the culture isn't right for the individual. And gosh, I'm certainly not. I don't want to start there by saying that the person needs to be up. But I think that is something to explore. Is is this place right for this individual? Really? I think I think and I'm I'm feeling really strong about that. Uh, I think we have to understand more about the resistance. Well, so what I'm hearing that, you know, first come at it from be curious from a facilitator standpoint. Why does this person feel so strongly? What are we missing? Mm -hmm. But have opting out as an option. Right. Right. Sometimes the chemistry, the view, whatever. And then maybe a third thing that we could look at is just how do we create, you know, more curiosity among everyone? You know, how do you go in really with beginner's eyes, right? But if someone is unable to get there, we ought to learn what's behind it. Mm-hmm. Because they may be holding a card that is absolutely the card that we should pay attention to. And if we ignore right, people are communicating to us all the time. It's just that we don't like that communication. So we reject it. So it, our first blush is it's, it's being uncooperative. They're being obstinate. They're being closed. Maybe they really have a good reason why we shouldn't be forging in the direction that the rest of the team is going in. And it just so happens that it's on most of the things the team is doing, and that might be an indicator that the person isn't a fit. So I'll take a stab at summarizing this. I think, number one, be curious and have a conversation about what is the resistance about. Mm -hmm. Um, And number two... Be open to having a dialogue. Is it really the right fit? And number three, give the person a chance to show up a little different. We didn't talk about that, but I think that's definitely an add-on. I think those are all very good ways of getting at the crux of the potential issue. Let's go to our next question. Dear Ralph and Cindy, here's a challenge I'm facing. How can you deal with strong personalities on a team who become so dominant that they shut out all other voices? This is the person who always has to comment on what anyone else says. They have to be the loudest voice in the room, and they make it clear that his or her opinion is the only one that matters, even if they are not the group leader or the highest ranking person in the room. Thanks, and I look forward to your suggestions. Wow, only, <laughs> only to be that smart. Um, you know, I think this is rich with lots of different ways that we could go yeah. with it. I mean, because there seems to be, from an emotional intelligence standpoint, perhaps low self-awareness on this individual's behalf on how they're impacting the group dynamic. And that could be handled offline, one-on-one. I think we got to have some ground rules. We talk a lot about operating ground rules, how the group will engage. And the reason you want to bring multiple people together around a problem to be solved is because you don't think one person can do it on their own. But then if we do that, we want to have uh, equal participation conversational turn-taking. So I think we have to have a ground rule around that in a way to facilitate that. And, you know, and this, I think skilled facilitators do it all the time. You know, we uh, love your energy, John, and we, we love your willingness to contribute. We've heard an awful lot from you, and we haven't heard from a few other people. 
who we've invited here because we value their input. Sometimes there is no substitute for just hitting it head on, Mm -hmm. but I think the operating ground rules around equal participation helps facilitate that. I think that's good. And I also think these, I'll call them violators, the overtalker violators, are, they're not getting enough feedback. (laughs) They're not getting it. I, you know, I talked to somebody two days ago and he said to me, it was a, a session I facilitated for a group of about 25 people. And one of the participants told me, he commented on one of the participate, participate, one of the participant, one of the participants having a hard time getting that word out, uh, and how they over talked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said to my client, "Did you let him know?" And, and what they say? Nope. So, <laughs> so you know, there's a lot of talk about these over talkers outside of the meeting, so, but they don't know. So you said something that I think not only would I agree with, I'd take it to the next level. You said they're not getting enough feedback. I think they're not getting any feedback. Right. And so that becomes a blind spot. They don't even have an opportunity for self-management because they're not seeing it. Fish notice water last. They're immersed in, and they may even see it quite differently. Right. What a contribution I made. You know, there was a lot of, I carried the conversation. I offered ideas. And and, I mean, this came up for me uh, recently where I'm coaching an individual who is deemed by many in the organization as a poor communicator, which I think is also poor feedback. You know, what about their communication isn't effective? And three or four people came to me saying, you know, we really want you to help him. We really want you to help him. I said, well, have you given him the feedback? No. I said, well, what do you mean no? I mean, how is he going to know that he's got something? I'm happy to work with him, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let him know three people, you're one of them, told me that he is a poor communicator. And I'm going to, and they got a little uncomfortable with that. But I think it's the, we do need to give that feedback. Now, that feedback may be best delivered one-on-one. One-on-one, for sure. But people need to understand. Here's where I think, and also I think it would be good to tape meetings. As long as you're not in a classified or you know confidential situation, and periodically the people who are under or over participating, allow them to listen to it from a third-party perspective. Well, let the whole group listen to it. I think it's helpful. And even if you don't listen to the whole meeting, but listen to a piece of it and then get everybody's input. Did that sound like a magnificent meeting? And the overtalker violators will, sometimes they'll get a, not sometimes, I think they will have an aha moment like, wow, that's what it looks like. (laughs) I really am overtalking. When you can observe it, after the fact, I think it gives you some insights. And, you know, I recently was co-facilitating a meeting with a senior leader who I think is an over-participator. Mm-hmm. And we can also link this to psychological safety. And I said to him halfway through, I said, have you noticed that you comment on everyone's comment throughout the meeting? He goes, well, I, I didn't notice it, but, but I'm adding value. I said, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're taking away from an opportunity for someone else to speak. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what do you want me to do with it? I said, I want you to look at it. I said, right now, I, I, I think what, what's happening when you're speaking, someone else isn't. And remember, you know, and I said, we've talked about this. You, three primary roles of a leader, to think, to listen, and to create and hold the space for challenges to be solved by your people. So your role becomes less of an expert and more of a catalyst as you enable that to happen. If you're talking most of the time, that's not happening. 
So the last piece of advice I want to offer is, I learned this a long time ago. Sometimes challenges and difficult conversations are best handled by humor. Mm, mm. You know, case in point, yesterday we had a, uh, we were working with one of our clients and they were creating some ground rules around meetings and real time in the moment, they were actually during this training, were violating one of the ground rules that we had just written on the flip chart about 10 minutes before, yes, right? Yes. And so instead of really sticking it to them, we made a, a fun comment about, so are we going to adhere to these ground rules like now or is this going to happen later? And everybody got a kick out of it. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. people thought it was fun. But it was kind of a light and humorous way of pointing out what it looks like. And I think the people who were violating the ground world were like, oh, right. You know, so it we've got to give people the space to change, but help them in kind of a fun and playful way. I think that's spot on. Not only the space to change, but they need reminders, gentle and maybe in some cases not so gentle reminders, mm-hmm. that their behavior is not aligned with either what they agreed to or what is effective for the team to operate at, you know, maximum impact. Sure, yeah, sure. And humor is a way to kind of softly, because at at some point it's got to be called out, whether it's privately, whether it's through humor, whether we listen to the tape. People need to be aware of how their behavior, over or under participating, is impacting the team moving forward in the team dynamic. Good. So I'll take a stab at kind of summarizing some of the things we're offering here. Number one is let's help the participant be more self-aware, right? And we can do that a number of ways. Uh, Number one is through giving them some one-on-one private feedback Mm -hmm. about how their behavior is impacting the effectiveness of the meeting, Mm -hmm. really giving them from a compassionate place, giving them that feedback, direct feedback. They're probably not getting it. Mm-hmm. Number two, record the meeting and help them to see how it's changing the energy of the meeting. Absolutely. Number three, use humor. Use humor to help them real time point out when it's happening. And number four, absolutely make sure there's operational ground rules about how we participate in the meeting and how we invite others to be a part of the meeting. I think those are excellent. Would you mind me adding a fifth? Go for it. I think finding someone that will be in the meeting that you have a good trusting relationship with to give you feedback immediately following the the meeting. One of the disadvantages we're at when we do one-on-one executive coaching is we often meet with people after the fact or before the fact and they're working on something but we're not actually observing them real time time. Mm. and i think to have someone who's in the meetings with you who can observe what you're working on and give you positive and constructive feedback as to how you're managing your participation helps the self-awareness piece which also should help the self-management so that would be a fifth that i would offer excellent excellent let's go to our last question sure dear ralph and cindy I work with a team member who's really great. They are a high performer and they're excellent in their area of expertise. They are consistently missing deadlines and we need her to improve. What do I do? Well, talk about it first of all, but I, you yeah. know this reminds me of uh, a term that you recently coined, the anatomy of accountability. 
Mm. Right. And the importance of making strong commitments that you are going to follow through on and then what, you know, following up, having the accountability. And if you're not going to be able to meet the commitment to renegotiate, I think too often, and I'm, I'm quite comfortable with if you're in a high performing organization, you're pushing the envelope, you might at times overcommit. I think that's part of growth. I think that's part of innovation. I think that's part of being a leader in an industry. But if you're going to not make a commitment, I don't care what what it is, how big or small, let the person know and renegotiate. I think in this case, you got to point it out to the person, particularly around the impact that missing the commitments are having. And I think embedded in that question, this is a person that's really well-liked and well-respected in the organization. And I think they're getting a pass. And I don't think anybody should get a pass. I'll say that again. I don't think anybody should get a pass on miscommitments, including your doctor. All right. We're going to go into that in a second, but I want to say something right here. This is a closet organizational problem. Ooh. How do you like that? I like that. This is a closet organizational problem. Organizations hang on to high performers who are getting in the way of their peers because they're getting things done. They're smart, they're talented, they have a lot of knowledge, they might even have a lot of tenure, they've been with the organization for a long time, but they're getting in the way of their peers and so they don't they just don't say anything. Ah. They t- it's easier to tolerate that performance as opposed to actually doing something about it. Yeah, I get and it. Um, I, you know, we, we, I think I'm so excited to address this issue because we see it in a lot of the clients that we're working with, right? And it impacts scale. This is where I think we need to talk with people about, so we're, we're sticking with or ignoring something, but ultimately it's making things less scalable mm-hmm. because this person becomes a bottleneck right? and we're allowing them to become a bottleneck. So my first piece of advice is have the conversation, but I don't think the conversation is about missing deadlines. I think the conversation is, number one, do you, do you realize how consistently you are missing deadlines? But more importantly, do you realize the impact that it's having? And I think there needs to be more time there. It's a broader conversation, mm-hmm. and I think oftentimes it's, a, it's a really a more transformational conversation versus transactional. Mm-hmm. If you just address the specific commitment, you may not change the systemic issue that's created it. And so I like that advice, of making it a broader conversation. It may not be an issue with the person missing deadlines, right? Mm. It may be an issue of the team overcommitting to the work that they're doing. Sure, sure. It may be an issue that the individual is having outside. They may not have the right tools to get the job done, right? So I'm kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I I think there needs to be a deeper exploration into what's behind the missing commitments. But in any case, it should not be a conversation that doesn't take place. Right. How it gets framed, how it gets shaped, we can play around with it, but not putting it in play, I think, is problematic. And I got that question uh, recently in a uh, follow-up training. Somebody said, well, how do you hold people above you accountable 
in people above you who are outside your functional area. And I, and I, you know, I thought about it for a minute and I certainly acknowledged and validated the discomfort the person was having with that. But I said, I think you just do it. See, I think if you have a separate set of rules around accountability to commitment, you have actually sub-optimized the performance of the organization. And, you know, we talk a lot about we got to walk the talk, right? We have to demonstrate leadership. And if you're ignoring something that's completely obvious to your team, you're not walking the talk. And these very same people, because I got a lot of energy on this, will talk about lead by example. Right. Well, take a look at the example you're setting. Mm -hmm. And you're setting an example that it's okay for certain people to miss commitments. And so that's a huge message around uh, accountability. And, uh, you know, we've got to be clear on our commitments and we've got to we've got to take them seriously. Mm-hmm. All commitments to all people at all levels. It's it's not. So the, the question I almost bristled at the question, well, how do you hold people above you accountable the same way you hold your peers accountable, the same way you hold your direct reports accountable, the same way you hold your kids accountable. Mm -hmm. But I think it starts with clear expectations. And sometimes you may have to have the conversation when the person makes the commitment, how are you going to want me to uh, follow up with you if you miss your commitment? Well, that speaks to the anatomy of accountability. Sure. There's three pieces to that. Number one, was there a clear request? You know, was time frame there? Was the outcome, what does success look like? Was that there? Was the why there? You know, was it really a clear request? Number two, did the other individual actually make a promise? Did mm-hmm. they say, yes, I will do that or no? Or let me think about it and I'll get back to you. You know, a lot of times we make requests of people and we think they took it. They didn't. Right. So was there really a promise? And then number three, part of that anatomy is renegotiating when things come up that we didn't anticipate. Did we actually go back to the original requester and say, hey, I'm not going to meet that deadline? There's a renegotiating. There's three really important elements to this whole idea of accountability. And I think the renegotiation is sooner rather than later. And it's this idea of taking personal responsibility to manage all of the promises you make within your organization. Absolutely. There's interdependencies. People are counting on you doing what you said. Kind of a segue, but you mentioned something that happened with your doctor. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, as I said a minute ago, you should hold everyone to the commitments they make, regardless of who they are. And so I had uh, surgery, a fairly minor surgery, a couple weeks ago, and I had to get up at, oh, dark hundred to get to the hospital, get prepped, and and then the doctor shows up 35 minutes later than when I thought the surgery would be. And there was no emergency, and I, I was actually kind of joking in a, in a non-challenging uh, way that, oh, did you get a good night rest? And then he got a little sensitive around the time, and... He said, well, I did. And uh, I said, I'm just kind of curious. You know, I, I needed to get here by 6 o'clock, and, but you can kind of roll in when you want. My wife did not think that was a good move to jam up the guy who's about to cut into me. <laughs> but I, I felt like, uh, and maybe it wasn't, right? Um, but I felt like in walking my talk, this idea of we all have a circle of influence. And if we're going to change any system, 
even a system that we're only in a very small part of the time, then we need to raise what's on our mind. Right. I think I did it in a joking enough way to make a point. I didn't stay on it. I didn't beat it into the ground. But I felt that was an important commitment. And now I wasn't really going anywhere the rest of the day, so it wasn't holding me up for appointments. But I, I do think that we need to treat those things with rigor. And I got to tell you, I do take a little pause when people don't deliver on certain commitments. I start to wonder how they treat all of the other things they do. Right. You know, how you do anything is how you do everything. So it, it just gives me some, some pause whether that was good judgment or not, I believe that everybody should deliver on the commitments they make or renegotiate. And I would have expected, and this is interesting because my wife and I talked about it later, I would have expected that the nurse or one of the other doctors said, Dr. So-and-so is running late. Uh, you'll still get out of here about the same time we planned, but we just wanted to let you know. So that's managing the commitment. A absolutely. That's, all we're, that's absolutely. all we're talking about here. Absolutely. Right. And so I don't think anybody is above the law on this one. CEO, top surgeon, or teenage kid, you've got to manage your promises. So let's summarize what we would recommend this listener do in working with the team member who's a great performer but consistently is missing deadlines. Well, one thing I would do is give them the feedback. I would open the conversation. I might even say, I wrote this question to people who are meeting experts. And one of the things I thought about, instead of raising it with them, I should raise it with you. Mm -hmm. So I'm now raising it with you. So number one, have the conversation. Absolutely. And as a part B to that, talk about, spend more time though, why it matters, how it's impacting other people, the team, the organization, the clients, really go deep on that. Absolutely, absolutely. Where it ends up, but what we don't want to do is not to talk about it, not to raise it. Right. And I think number two, we want all of our listeners to understand this idea of the anatomy of accountability. The result is missing deadlines. Mm -hmm. The result is not completing a project with the quality that we originally intended. What really is the undercurrent of the problem is, are we making clear requests? Are we really getting promises and commitments? And are we managing and renegotiating those commitments as new issues arise? So let me build on that one. I have, and we have, a lot of energy that most meetings do not end strong. We bring 12 people together, eight people together, six people together, we talk for an hour, and then we wrap it up in three to five minutes, mm -hmm. which is not enough time. I think in the anatomy of accountability, it breaks down at the very beginning that people left there with different expectations of who was gonna do what by when. And, and so this idea of investing enough time when we wrap up to get a clear request, to get a clear promise, and to know that you expect early renegotiation if the person can't deliver. Yeah, good ad. So those are our questions. And um, I enjoyed this format today. We want to offer all our listeners continue to 
send us your questions, your real, the real live stuff that's going on so that we can help you and give you different ideas about how to address these uh, real live issues. If one person is having the challenge, guaranteed multiple people are having the challenge Absolutely. as well. And it speaks to a lot of our offerings in EI, emotional intelligence. This is self-awareness. People are lacking in the self-awareness to manage themselves differently. It's in communications. We've got too many missing conversations. We're not raising it. And then thirdly, we're not really digging into this anatomy of accountability and really being specific and clear with our language so that we have fewer instances of miscommitments in our teams or even in our one-on-one interactions. So I think what would go along nicely with that is we also have an emotional intelligence offering, which is what you're speaking to Mm -hmm. around having more self-awareness. And you can find information about that offering on our website, getemergent.com. And if you want to send us some questions, you can go to our Facebook page along with our LinkedIn page, Get Emergent. And uh, we'd love to hear more. We would. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you.